Hey friends, this is Andy. Chorus.ai is the platform for the vice president of sales. Chorus believes that customer conversations are a company's most powerful but most underutilized and overlooked asset. With every sales call and meeting seamlessly recorded, transcribed, and analyzed in real time, Chorus.ai provides an unparalleled view into your sales and customer success teams. Highlight coachable moments. Uncover insights about your competitors. Proactively identify at-risk deals and so much more with Chorus.ai's elegant and easy-to-use solution for today's data-driven sales leaders. And even better, reps can get started for free today and start seeing real results within the first five minutes simply by going to hello.chorus.ai forward slash sign up. That's hello.chorus.ai forward slash sign up. Remember, Chorus.ai, today's platform for the VP of sales. It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 608, 608 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I am truly honored to be joined by my guest today on the show. Joining me is Jay Abraham. Jay is a preeminent global business consultant. He's a best-selling author, and we'll talk about one of his books on the show today. He's helped literally thousands of companies around the world profitably grow their businesses. And interesting, you know, business luminaries like Damon John of ABC Shark Tank say that Jay is their mentor. Think about that. So very honest, honored to have him on the show. And we're going to talk about how to achieve breakthroughs in sales and growing your business by having passion and empathy for the customers you serve. Now, so often, we hear people tell us, well, we need to have a passion, the key to success, having a passion for what we sell. And I've always thought that was a little backwards because that's always about, that's about us. That's not about the customer. And, and so in the conversation today, you'll hear Jay talk about the importance of having this passion as well as empathy for the people your product will help, you know, that your solutions serve. And I think that's really the right perspective. But you want to make sure you stick around for this a great conversation. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 608. Now, before I talk with Jay, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by Chorus.ai. Chorus.ai makes your customer conversations work for you. Vice presidents of sales, sales enablement managers, account executives alike all benefit from the power and ease of Chorus.ai's platform. And customers of Chorus.ai have seen dramatic increases in their close rates within the first few months of using it and ramp-up periods for new reps cut by nearly half. It's a great learning tool. So you want to check it out, go to Chorus.ai. That's just going to Chorus.ai, Chorus like uh, school chorus, C-H-O-R-U-S dot A-I. All right, let's jump into it with Jay. Jay, Abraham, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you, Andy. It's an honor and a pleasure. Well, it's an honor to have you on the show. So I have a standard question I start the conversation with with almost all my guests, and that is, in your opinion, what's what's the single biggest challenge that faces sales professionals today? Um, probably, and I'm thinking on the fly because I've never been asked that, authenticity, credibility, and um, and true intent in uh, behalf of the prospective buyer. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, it's – and you you write about this in your books. I mean, this this idea that seems to be lacking from many salespeople today is this idea that 
that they're there to serve. They're first and foremost. This really is a service profession. Uh, you are rewarded for the value you create for others that they recognize and um, and truly grasp. And you are outrageously rewarded if, in direct proportion to the quantity, quality, and consistency of value and the dimension of it that you bring somebody. But very truthfully, it has to be uh, in alignment with the prospective buyer's definition of what value really is. Too many mm -hmm. people think that what they think is valuable, the prospect thinks is valuable, and it's not necessarily too. So you have to have alignment of what their definition, what their criteria, and how valuable they may think something of value is, because there's a, a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, di uh, not diversity, but disparity in interpretation. Well, I think that aligns with a lot of things that, that you talk and write about, which is that, you know, there's this idea here that, that sales gets into a, a bind. And I think sales, sales leadership, people trying to sell and market anything that they assume they know what the buyer wants. And that's, that's sort of this lack of imagination, right? That's sort of challenging because like, they're saying it's just easier to go with, I'm going to assume I know what you want. I mean, it's sort of this idea I, I find that we're hampered by in many of our industries and in sales is that, you know, we've defined a persona that we're supposed to be selling to, but we forget they're actually selling to a person. It's an individual, and he or she is coming into it with a myriad of um, of driving factors, reality reality to them, uh, prejudices. I think the first thing is you've got to be in alignment and verbalize the depth and the and and the the dimensionality of the problem or the opportunity they're trying to solve. And then you've got to be able to know what the relative value of it is in solving and what the relative negative impact of it is right now and not being solved. And then you've got to be able to prove <clears throat> that your solution, which everything is a solution really, mm -hmm. uh, solves it <clears throat> in a way that is either uh, more powerful, effective, uh, uh, quantitatively, qualitatively better, uh, easier, faster, more sustainable, uh, more higher yield. You got to be able to know the the benefit to the client and what that benefit is worth in terms of money or timeline or getting them a raise or avoiding. Uh, breakdowns, but I don't think a lot of tech salespeople really get in to what I would call the human uh, factor, which is what people have to really deal with on the job. They, they sell, they fall in love with how brilliant the technology is, as opposed to uh, uh, become uh, impassioned and animated by what the technology is going to achieve for the client and then one more level how that achievement uh, what it what it it what it means relative to either productivity savings man hour mm -hmm. time to market uh, uh whatever yeah well no i <laughs> i was just thinking back as you were talking about the tech being in love with its own own technology i mean i old enough to be back in some of the early days of some of the major tech companies like Apple. And I, was, I remember 
uh, going to a trade show, a big trade show, and I was in the Apple booth, and and uh, how this one person comes in and talks to several people, and I sort of was debriefing him as he is leaving, and he was he was so disgusted because everybody was so arrogant about the technology they weren't bothering to sell this guy and it was you know a potentially a large corporate client which you know was a real challenge for apple at that time yeah. to get well, into. I, I think andy my observation and i am not technologically skilled but i help a lot of technology companies because i can figure out what what the purpose what the benefit what the advantage what the what the reason why that technology should exist and explain it, quantify it, compare it, and and project forward what it what it will mean when it's when it's deployed in in the benefit of uh, of the user, whether it's B two B B two C, whatever it is. But I, there's a lot of data that is pretty conclusive that more sales are made with storytelling, metaphors, analogies. Uh, um, uh, similes that are ever made with PowerPoints. Yeah, absolutely. And yet everybody uses PowerPoints. Everybody uses PowerPoint. Give me your deck. Give me your deck. Yeah. Mm. Well, even if they had a <clears throat> metaphor in their PowerPoint, that would be a start. Yeah, that's funny. When people ask me for a deck, and I sell very expensive, intangible right. services, I refuse to send one because they're already basically relegating me to a commodity criteria of judgment. Mm-hmm. I've already lost in in acknowledging that I'm basically, um, you know, a commodity and I'm non-distinctive. I refuse to do that. And and a lot of people go, okay, I'll send you the deck as if somebody really can get what the hell the deck means when it's not being presented and embellished. It's a real disservice to the product. Or the service, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've worked with a number of companies that have raised money in, in Silicon Valley and uh, from the investors. And you might take was always the best presentation when you went to a partner's meeting was one where the laptop stayed closed. Yeah. And, you're just, and where there's passion, right. not for the product, but for the people the product is going to benefit. Well, this sort of gets to one of the theses of in your writing in general, but certainly as as reading the Abraham Mindshift Challenge that you ebook that you had, and and and, and it, it changed your life, didn't it? Well, it, it made my brain hurt for one because I hope just, that's good. Yeah, because there are just so many examples in there, of and they're what, all nonlinear, and they're all make total right. critical thinking sense when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, and it it. Uh, <laughs> it just sort of, yeah, I was still trying to process a lot of it. But but the the thing that, that struck me is, you know, we talk about, you know, we have mindsets, mindsets that limit us, right, just with certain beliefs. But but I like what you sort of put in there, which is that, you know, this particular belief is, is the way I interpret it, is that we're constrained by the fact that we think business has to be done a certain way. Yes. And that we have to but follow not, these prescribed it, paths. And and being conventional is, is the mm-hmm. biggest limitation. But you do understand that it's almost not the fault of uh, the individual or the company because they're predicating their actions, their stratagems, their uh, their uh, business models, everything on what everyone else 
in the category does. They don't really have a context of expanded understanding of all that's possible, much of which, excuse me again, is highly more superior in yield, highly more superior in risk abatement, highly more superior in cost uh, um, cost efficiency, highly more superior in um, in um, uh, speed to market. I mean, everything about mm-hmm. it. They just don't know it because they've never experienced it because they've spent the preponderance of their life in industries that pretty much follow the herd. And they're a little bit better, a little bit worse than everybody, but uh, they really don't have a context of how much more is possible from time, effort, activity, interaction, uh, access to a market, it, you know, a, a, a prospect. Uh, it's 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 there's a tragedy there that is it would there's just, it's a I use another double word it's a dichotomy mm. because uh it's either it's either um it's either hilarious or pathetic depending on <laughs> whether it's yourself or someone else don't you think yeah well i mean and the point you're just making is is in terms of the limitations is you know you have a one of the breakthroughs you talk about uh, oh. i think in getting all you can book is as you said that uh Breakthrough, I love this part, is breakthroughs increase in direct proportion to the amount of networking, brainstorming, and masterminding you do with like-minded, success-driven people outside your industry. And I thought, wow, well, well, that's, you know, everybody goes to networking (laughs) events to meet people in their industry. (laughs) It's like, this makes so much sense. It it is, what I advocate is not really counterintuitive. It's more intuitive if you look at life, Andy, almost all the big breakthroughs came from outside industries. I'm going to be a little bit dated only because I don't want to have to <clears throat> to thrash up uh, newer stories and remember them. But, for example, uh, fiber optics wasn't developed by by telecommunications. It was aerospace and it was borrowed. FedEx borrowed the spoke and hub distribution process that the uh, – Federal Reserve Bank used to clear checks overnight. Uh, Rogaine came from a pimple mm-hmm. medicine experiment. Uh, Viagra was a blood pressure experiment. Uh, I don't know if this is a great achievement, but roll-on deodorant or the roll-on pen, one or the other came from each other. But my life has been dedicated to traveling outside uh, the uh, the typical realms and identifying, understanding, maybe not all, but the widest swath and depth of strategies, business models, selling approaches, access vehicles, competitive positioning, advantage generation, uh, <clears throat> uh, remonetization, mm-hmm. lead attraction, conversion, uh, strategic alliance, all kinds of of nonlinear seeming ways to explode uh, sales in an industry that's unfamiliar with it, and it, and it's uh, sort of like I'm I'm the one-eyed man in the in the land of the line of the <laughs> of the blind right. of the blind. I'm babbling, but I did do a blood test and I have no blood left, so <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. With they, few it sounds like they drew it. Out. How many times did they draw blood from you? Uh, four or five, but it it but I didn't eat, and they had it. It was 
it was actually sadistic. They basically give you all this super amped up uh, <clears throat> glucose, and then they're taking all your blood out. So you're you're jumping around, and then you're getting weak because they're depleting you of your oxygen. It's a very sadistic test. Well, hopefully the person drawing blood was somewhat painless. I mean, I, I was just at my doctor's a couple of days ago, and he has a new phlebotomist who's drawing the blood. Second time I've had her, she she's just happy just to sort of jab it in there. Um, so. There's a difference between a um, a compassionate and see, I think it's, it's actually introducing a wonderful issue, which I'm going to turn from a, a tangential sure. conversation to a relevant point. <clears throat> the key to all success is examining, understanding, appreciating, uh, <clears throat> uh, recognizing, exploring, acknowledging, and and respecting how the other side is experiencing not just the interaction with you, but their whole life experience and how it relates. A phlebotomist that just basically jabs and goes on has no awareness or compassion or empathic respect for what it's like to be <clears throat> in the seat receiving it, not just the pain, not just if you have uh, an overt uh, anxiety, but the correlation of why you're there taking a test that might reveal something hopefully benign and hopefully modest, but that you're scared shitless <laughs> to find out the answer. It hurts like hell. Uh, it's magnified many times over because it's it can be a cold and um, an uninviting environment. Yeah. And that goes to, I mean, that's selling. You want to sell, you want to sell comfort. You want to sell uh, empathy. You want to sell uh, uh, that that this is going to be painless and you appreciate what they're like and relax. We're all here to help you. And it, really, that's selling, isn't it? Oh, it is. I mean, <laughs> if the phlebotomist had just said, you know, this might, this might sting a little bit. <laughs> I have a new idea for you, and I think you could own okay. the whole category. Go. Okay, masochistic selling. Okay. And it can be, and it can be part. The first one after that, it's condescending selling, <laughs> and that's going to be a trilogy. And the third one, and it can be basically, uh, <clears throat> it can be uh, self-love selling, where you are enraptured with your technology to the point that you're almost having a love affair in public with it, as opposed to trying to really figure out what it's going to do to benefit the long-term outcome of the client. Yeah, the last one's probably taken already, but... Well, you're right, but you still have two. Maybe you can, maybe you can acquire it at a discount because it's probably not that successful. Yeah. Well, I mean... But imagine if you have this, you could have... You could have trilogy selling the new the new breakthrough approach to rapidly self-destructing your career so you can go on and do what you're really qualified for. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that part. Hey, Andy, yes. you, you get me involved in your business and we'll just we'll shoot for um, most people shoot for the moon. We'll shoot for uh, the center of the earth. All right. 
All right. I've I'm, I've, I've written I've written that down. We're we're gonna we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about that. Well, actually, you know, it's funny. That's it as <laughs> a way to use sort of that. You were sort of anticipating maybe in in inverse proportion. Sort of the way the question I was going to ask is that is yeah we talk about these basic you know human qualities that that I mean you listed a couple handful there that that sales needs to possess to really you know achieve at the level they should be able to achieve and and it's like it seems like there's no continuity sort of from you know group to group that sort of comes into sales you know new cohort enters and it's like. It's like okay, well, we need to teach these human skills, but shouldn't they already know these human skills? Why why do we act when they suddenly they come into sales like that? They need to be empathic, right? I mean, to succeed as a human, you need to be empathic. Have you studied Stephen M. R. Covey? Yeah, I love the Speed of Trust. Yes, I, in fact, he, I just interviewed him a, a month or so ago. Uh, did you interview just him, or did you interview Greg Ling too? Just just Stephen. So Stephen is a friend. Greg is a really good friend. His father was a great benefactor of, of ours, of mine, who died too young. But Stephen has taken something which is axiomatic, trust. Everyone thinks they have trust. And he's explored it. He's uh, examined it. He's expounded on it. He's uh, done examples of modest trust, major trust. Mm-hmm. He's done research on the... Um, on the, the the variation and differentiation of yield you get from different kinds of trust of trustful relationships. And his conclusion is 90% of the people in business trying to u- utilize, engaged in any activity where trust is a critical uh, 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 commodity of exchange and compensation, or at least incentive for the outcome are are suboptimal in their ability to wield, manifest, convey, uh, 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 exhibit, and really, uh, what's the word I want to use, uh, uh, transfer high trust characteristics. And you'd think that everybody would know trust. You'd think everyone would know ethics. You think everybody would know and 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 have a elevated level of integrity, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, you'd think that the you know substantial portion of the people just growing up in society would yeah. have developed these sort of basic. Assuming they had parents, I'm stepping yeah. on you that instilled noble and worthy uh, worthy values to them to be. Uh, to be good citizens, good human beings, good contributors to society. But I think the world today has gotten um, disconnected to one another, don't you think? Well, I wonder whether that, that does play a role. I mean, it's, it's sort of the, the thing we all default to, right? That, that you know, we live in our, our own bubbles, and even though we're, quote-unquote, more social, we're actually more isolated. Um, and I wonder, because I, I mean, from a generational standpoint, I've seen some research. Uh, Jeff Colvin talks about in his book, Humans Are, are Underrated, that's saying that that actually research has been sort of measuring levels of empathy in graduating classes from college since, I think, the late 70s. And that, that even starting then, the trend was they were starting to see a decrease in empathy sort of year after year among you know, a fresh cadre of graduates going off into the work world. 
So if you're decreasing empathy, what are you increasing? <laughs> That's a good no, question. Not, it's it's, a, a, good, it's question. a good question. It's a good question. What, I mean, what fills it, the void? Is it condescension? Is it selfishness? Yeah, I think it's selfishness, don't you? Uh, yes. I think it's actually self-consumption. Self, yeah, self-absorption, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a better word. I think uh, there are many. I do work, it's not my primary, but I've done a lot of work with millennials, and they really aren't very interested in growing and developing others. They're not very collaborative. Their communication skills, frankly, leave a lot to be desired. Their sense of empathy and appreciation beyond just transactional value is, to say the least, suboptimal. That's polite. And uh, it's very fascinating. So what's sort of, I know that this is maybe not a fair question, but in your mind, sort of, as we look forward, I mean, what's, what's sort of the, what's the cure, if you will, or what's, what's the remedy? Uh, assuming there's no cure, maybe temporarily at least treat the symptoms. Because it, because it sounds like what we're doing now, and, and when people come into the workforce, is basically sort of our first job is we have to train them how to be human. Well, I think we have to train them on the purpose of being human. The purpose of being human is to add value every day in every way you can in every person you interact with in your life. It's to make people better off because you're in their life, but it's to understand that better off can't be an inside, uh, not uh, in the inside, not joke, but the inside knowledge you've got, but they don't appreciate it because everything from your perspective <clears throat> buyers to your internal uh, clients who are all the team members you work through with, collaborate with, have to also uh, feel that. And I think it's teaching people. We have something that I'm very proud of. <clears throat> And I do apologize again for my voice being being so weak today. It's called the strategy of preeminence. We have one called mm -hmm. the advanced strategy. And it teaches you how to basically fall in love not with your company, not with your job or your profession, not with your product or service, but with the marketplace, the people or the businesses and the people within those businesses that you are serving and live with a vision of how your product deployed or your service deployed in their life is enriching, protecting, uh, enhancing. Uh, and if you can get to that place, two things happen. It liberates you, because I don't think a lot of millennials have ever really experienced the true joy and fulfillment that comes from connecting at a deep level with the people you serve internally and out. And I think once you do, it not only liberates a side of or, or, or a dimension within that's never been turned on and up, but it also animates your spirit in a way that makes working uh, joyous, intoxicating, makes interacting with people something you de you delightfully look forward to, makes the dialogue you're having always interesting, stimulating, meaningful, and relevant. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things. If if I, I don't do sales training, but if I did, those are the kind of things I'd focus on. Well, it's sort of following up to that point to a certain degree is is that 
is I struck because you would you talk about in, in um, one of the books uh, that I was just gonna get to that that uh, trait is the, oh that that you know the breakthroughs are are really due to you know a degree of of open mindedness and which I I agree and you know maybe curiosity you know falls into that open mindedness. So I was interested in your perspective because you know we, if you look at just from a societal standpoint, is we seem to be hardened into our own positions, right? I mean, whether it's politically or socially or whatever. And I was wondering whether you're seeing that's translating into to business as well. Is that you know people are having a harder time, you know, breakthroughs because if if they're so fixed on certain aspects of their life, does it translate then into business and work? There's uh, there's far too much rigidity. I'll tell it. A little metaphor, pardon my voice again, <clears throat> is many, many years ago, I'm obviously older than you, I had the pleasure of being on one of the very first 747 SPs, which were the long distance mm-hmm. nonstop <clears throat> that was in Australia, flying back to Los Angeles. And I, I heretofore, you had to stop in Hawaii to refuel. Yeah. This one was a direct flight. Yeah, these were the little, the little short 747s, yeah. Yeah, and and they would go long distances. And the pilot announced two things when, um, well, a couple of things. He said, first of all, uh, don't be fooled. This thing weighs, I don't know, a million pounds. He said, it's going to scare you a little bit because you're going to think we're going to hit the wall, but it needs a lot of of runway. I'm using metaphors, Mm -hmm. by the way, before Mm -hmm. it takes off. And it did. And if it had a shorter runway, it wouldn't take off. So a runway is a interesting uh, sort of a, a just recess it in the back of your mind. Now we're flying. We're at about 35,000 feet. <clears throat> and I've been privileged to fly first class. And I had the, the honor of sitting next to a pilot that was flying uh, to pick up the second, uh, the second leg because they can only fly for eight hours. And this was, I don't know, a 16-hour flight. Mm-hmm. And... He's on the window, and I've never really looked out the window at a wing. And I look at the wing, and the damn thing is flexing. <laughs> Shit, I bet 20 It's feet. flapping. You're right. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, we're going to die. And I was visibly gripped with consternation, anxiety. My fingers started grabbing. I was, I don't know if I was dripping uh, puddles of of sweat, but I made a conscious comment that I'd never noticed that, and that is that normality. And he said something to me, which was a metaphor for all of our life. And I am hopelessly curious, and my expertise and skill is a is a, a blessed uh, accumulation of the, the hundreds and hundreds of industries. I've been curious about learning uh, and I've been interacted with around the world. But he said, you have to understand that's that flexibility is your lifeblood on this airplane. If the wings were rigid the first time we hit turbulence, it would crack off and we would not hurdle. We would just dive bomb to the ground, splat, pow. No more Jay or Andy. He said flexibility is essential to, um, you know, to successful air flight. And I right. realized it's essential 
to successful everything because people want the world to be black and white and it's not, it's gray. And, and when you are rigid, you've immediately put up restrictors, deflectors, uh, moats of, of, uh, that sabotage your ability to grow and be exposed to a broader, vaster sphere of possibilities, of alternatives, of enhancers. And in a world where knowledge is doubling every, I don't know, six, nine months, anybody who's arrogant and ignorant enough to think that they can be ostrich-like in their paradigm or their process or their, their business perspective or their competitive perspective is basically they're, uh, they're playing Russian roulette, but instead of one bullet, they've got three in the chamber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, that, you know, to this theme we sort of talked about is, is people, it just feels, and I, I see this with, with sales teams and individuals I work with is that, yeah, just, we become sort of satisfied with the fact that we've sort of closed ourselves off to a certain degree that we, you know, gather information from, you know, a defined sphere and, and there's not as much, I don't see as much curiosity to break out of that sphere. And, and that's why I was so drawn to your, your uh, suggestion. You know, so the breakthroughs come by the amount of time you spend with people outside your industry, heaven forbid, you know, <laughs> that you do that because then you do start getting exposed to, the ways other people are doing things that could have a huge impact on what you do. Well, it's a delusion to think that your industry and thus your company within it has uncovered the highest and the best performing anything, strategy, business model, positioning, marketing approach, uh, articulation. It's, it's improbable. I've had the benefit of not only working with, uh, as I said, I don't know, four or five hundred industries around the world, and about seven thousand and some odd sub industries, but I've also worked with very large companies that do outrageous uh, analysis of variability: how doing something one way, saying something one way, writing something one way, positioning something one way. Uh, uh, pricing something one way, uh, guaranteeing something one way or another, the differentials, and the differentials are profound, sometimes as much as five or more times better or worse. And when you have that kind of leverage potential for the same time, effort, opportunity, capital, expenditure, human capital, Mm -hmm. asset, uh, close-mindedness, is a disservice to any anybody who is a stakeholder, anybody who has hitched their career to you. And if you have a wonderful product or service, it's a disservice to the prospective companies you could be serving and helping. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jay, great stuff. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for this this conversation, but I'd love to have you back on again and, and talk some more. I think we just, we're getting scratched the surface. So, if you could, tell people how to connect with you and learn more about what you do. 
Um, well, what we do mostly is work with private companies for large fees, and most people can't afford us. We have some products, but we have a uh, we have a pretty cool website. It's Abraham.com, but the one they want to go to is Abraham.com slash five o shades. It's got eight nine hundred either hours or pages of very very high level material that we generously gift without even asking for an opt-in. I'm, we're more of a benefactor to the entrepreneurial market, and we we uh, monetize by doing clients and expensive programs, and we don't even ask for an opt-in. So if I can help, then it's my pleasure to benefit your uh, listeners. And I hope that I, I don't know that I was what you expected, but I hope my output was what you're trying to do for your your market. Yeah, no, it, it was great. Believe me, people people will enjoy this. So, again, it, it, no, it's my pleasure. And get me a copy of this at your earliest convenience, and I'll put it on my website for you too. We will. So, again, Jay Ram, thanks for joining us, friends. Thank you for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back, join us for the next great episode of Accelerate. So, thanks again, and until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Mm-hmm.